0: Hello there. This is the Extra Extra podcast. The That's Ed, pretty hard to say. Extra. Start, My name is Freddy. Start over? Start over. Yeah, sure. The
1: third word out of your mouse was, mouth mouse was a mistake. Your
0: mouse. <laughs> I'm this uh, is going to be English awesome. This is a second language. Okay, great start.
2: Okay. <laughs> just do it in Spanish. <sighs>
0: Hello there. This is The Extra Podcast. My name is Freddie and I'm here with a few lovely individuals who I will allow to introduce themselves. Andy Steiger, Jonathan
3: Giesberg, Jeff Bucknum.
0: Fantastic. Uh, the redhead here, Jonathan is the only Canadian. As you can see, the yes, redhead. as you can see. Uh, I invited him to bring a Canadian perspective. Are you Freddy?
3: Canadian? Where were you born? I was born in Vancouver. All right. Yeah.
1: Freddie, um, it's nice to have you. What are you doing here? I am a summer worker
0: and also an immerse intern.
1: So you're a pastoral intern, just starting the, just like a year behind Daniel, basically. Basically. So in I'm the
0: replacing him, essentially. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> All
1: right. He's All away
0: on a, on a trip and I'm, I'm taking his spot. I preached mm. at NYA for him. I'm now emceeing for him. Uh, I don't know what else I could you're do the to new,
1: fully replace him. You're the new Daniel, is what I'm you're saying. I new and improved. And dude, hey, what, it, what about you? The bar you? was really low. Tell us a little bit about you, uh, Freddie. Where are you from? How'd you end up here?
0: I'm originally from Grants Pass, Oregon. I came up here about...
1: Mark! Shout out to...
0: That's right. Shout out to Grants Pass. Shout out to Oregon. I came up here uh, five years ago on a mission trip with uh, Trek, with MB Mission, and then a classic love story. I met a girl on the trip. Ended up staying here for school. I, I, I picked my school because I liked a girl in the country. I wouldn't recommend that necessarily. To end, it worked for me. It worked for me. And uh, we've been married almost four years now.
1: So. Congratulations. That's great. Thank you. You just graduated.
2: I graduated. Weeks ago.
0: Yes. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago from Columbia Bible College. Yeah. Yeah. That's Loving fantastic. it so far. Absolutely.
2: And I got to give a shout out to Grants Pass, Oregon, where you're mm. from. Do we got it? It is. It is a gorgeous place. Oh. And yep, there is absolutely. a beautiful river there called the Rogue River. That's right. And uh, that's right. It's just it's I've a only lovely ever place. stayed
1: in Grants Pass when I've been passing through and I was very tired driving my car. And so uh, on your way to California, I'm yeah, I sure. right. some friends. got out of the get out of the car and stayed, I think, at the Best Western or something on know, the side of the it's road. Pretty, there. yeah, it's so decent. It's was, clean. It was a very exciting.
0: <laughs> Grants <laughs> Pass standards. is, a, is basically no. Grants Pass is basically a rest stop. Didn't get as murdered. people go to nicer places, didn't but get we're pretty nice good. too. Yep. No, we're pretty nice too.
1: Well, good, Freddie. It's nice to have you. Welcome here. Now, is it's what's your actual name though? My
0: actual name is Freddie Orozco. First and last.
1: Middle no, middle name. Name. No, no middle name. No middle name. Nope. Wow. And you no, you... no middle names? No middle names. You are oh. an, kind of a English first language or is... Uh, uh, Spanish,
0: Spanish is actually... Spanish is first, English, first, first language. language. That's right. That's great. But I don't have an accent.
1: Well, you do. You have a have Southern Oregon you, I accent. <laughs> I was just
3: okay. going to say, as the honorary okay. Canadian okay. in this group, you've so, got an accent, well, buddy. I, I say A just <laughs> like everyone else. A? Yeah, okay. Okay,
1: bud.
0: Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I learned English pretty quick, right? So I was... Five or six, and I learned mostly from television and then from school, obviously. But <laughs> I had functional English just from watching, basically Sesame Street and Sesame Street and Barney.
1: Ses- Sesame Street, Sesame Street <laughs> with me,
0: amigos. I like to watch the Sesame Street. Yes, yeah, it was it was good. It worked for me. It worked for me. So, That's anyways, great. it's uh, it's good to be here with you guys today. Um, and in light of uh, current events, there was a question I wanted to bring up. So as, as you're familiar, if, if you watch the news or read anything online, the U.S. just moved an embassy to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv, right? And this has been um, one of the campaign promis- promises from Mr. Trump, and it, it's been a huge deal. It's been blown up all over the interwebs, um, and it, it brought, brings up a, an important question, I think, that a viewer actually sent in. Oh, I have a, pre- pre- a question that's a viewer, before that question. A listener.
2: Yeah. Does Trump do anything that doesn't blow up the web? You know, that, that's, anyway, that's yeah, the, more, the more
0: important question. Anyways, the, the big question is what is the relationship between um, national Israel and, and Christians, right? Like that. Mm. So, if you two could speak, or the three of you could speak into that, we yeah. could benefit.
1: I don't know if you'd benefit. This is a big issue, actually. There are a lot of people who think that uh, because national political Israel, which is what exists in uh, the Middle East today, uh, but not I, in some people's minds, not in, in terms of it's in, not in its fullness in terms of the full amount of land that they were, are supposed to have had. Um, that the argument is that because national political Israel is described in Scripture and has a future in Scripture, and most people would point to uh, Revelation 11, or Romans 11 mm-hmm. as an indication of that, because it has a future that way, that the responsibility of the Christian is to bless national political Israel. So that's a viewpoint that is often called dispensationalism in Christian circles. And it's very well attested among lots of scholars these days and stuff. In fact, the seminary I attended, Dallas Seminary, is historically known as a dispensational school. If you know anything about Masters Seminary in uh, Southern California, it's got uh, historic dispensational sort of stuff. There's another view or another few views, but one of the other big views is actually that the church uh, has, in some senses, fulfilled or replaced Israel. And so uh, what that means is, uh, for example, uh, when Jesus comes, he, uh, he, he, he surrounds himself with 12 disciples, which is an odd number, right? And he crosses the Jordan, he's baptized into the Jordan River, and he's tempted in the wilderness for forty days. These all these numbers, all these imagery, should sound familiar to you. So when Matthew's describing all these events, he seems to be arguing that Jesus is is the culmination of or the, the the fulfillment ultimately of Israel. And he is. I mean, even in Paul's letters, what you end up getting is is Jesus being described as the as the the seed, right, of Abraham and uh, where Israel the national political Israel prior to him failed, Jesus actually fulfills. And therefore, uh, those who argue this way tend to say that there's not a distinct future for national political Israel, that all of God's promises have now been placed in the church, which is make made up of Jew and Gentile alike.
0: And what would that view be called to contrast to dispensationalism?
1: Um, it's tends to be called covenant theology or something to that, uh, that effect. um, and yeah, are- there, there are people who have a background in dispensationalism. There's d- different, like, like there's varying uh, halfway houses between them. There are some people who believe that there is a... I, I for example, believe that there's a future for national political Israel, but okay. I, t- I think that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises given to Abraham, and all those who have faith in Jesus will receive those promises. And so the future for national political Israel for me is uh, it's just the way I read Romans 11. So that makes me what we call uh, historically premillennial. Okay. Um, but whatever, there's lots of different viewpoints on this within the Christian church. To be honest with you, this is a debate that the Christian church has had for a long, long time. Um, some people see it as a, as a, as a significant, uh, doctrinal issue that if you end up abandoning national political Israel in the sense that, um, man, my mind is just racing to these. I've received as a pastor, I've received, uh, letters uh, from ministries that actually, uh, support elderly, uh, Israeli folks who in many cases they're atheist or whatever they're, they're, they just have, there's no belief in them, but the belief among those who sent me these things saying, Hey, support kind of like, you know, we do a compassion. Yeah. So it's an adopt, uh, an elderly, uh, Israeli a person. Yeah. <laughs> well, a, a, be- child because, yeah. because a child of God. Because of the belief that, you know, how you treat Israel, national political Israel, in God's mind is how you're going to, is how he's going to treat you. Now, I, I, I push back against that to say that if Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel, which is what I think the New Testament is largely arguing, that Jesus is the embodiment, he reconstitutes Israel with 12 disciples, he, like, I mean, even letters. I'm thinking about the uh, B- Book of James and others are are using in t- First Peter are using titles for the church now that were once attributed to Israel. I, it seems to me that the church, in because of their belief in Jesus, has in some ways, uh, ha, ha, it, because Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel, the church receives the promises. That I would say that it's not how you treat Israel that's the issue. It's how you treat the true Israel, who's Jesus, is the is, is the issue. Uh so, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that we should treat Israel well or poorly? I, I think we should treat. I personally, this is me. You guys can debate about it. I, I think we should treat the nation of Israel in the same way we treat all all nations, with uh, charity in places and prophetic insight in places. Even if you also, even if you believe that Israel is uh, there's a future for national political Israel, I still think that many of the ways that Israel acts toward its neighbors are the kinds of things. That in the Old Testament, they were they were not just criticized, but judged for. Yeah. So I think there's a point, even if you do believe in, in a future for national political Israel, there is a point for which you can come to Israel and say, well, actually, some of the ways you guys are acting is really beneath the call that you have in your own scriptures. Israel, though, is one of the most atheistic states in the world. So, you know, I mean, to, they have, there's Jewish heritage, but if you, I mean, people are asked there, they, they are largely, largely atheistic. But I also push the other side and say, look, I think the Palestinian that there are all sorts of ways that Palestinians and the the neighbors of Israel have treated Israel with massive disregard.
0: So it's a complicated issue. Is what Massively you're saying. complicated, okay.
1: and ultimately, it's a fight over this land. It's the belief that Israel says, no, Jerusalem is our is ours. Yep. Therefore, it and it is our historic capital. I'm putting that in air quotes, right? Yep. It's our historic like homeland, but it's also disputed that no, no, that's the that's his, historic. You know, Palestinian okay. homeland. And so this move that Trump has made is basically to endorse the Israeli view of their own state, yeah. which, by the way, he has a right to do and Israel has a right to do because it is currently their state. It's just that the rest of the countries around are like, don't do that. It's going to inflame violence. It has. Yeah. It's yeah. just a kind of a bombastic move in that, in that regard. So it, it is a complicated issue. I don't think that there is a... Uh, just so you know, I, I don't personally think that there is a, a Christian... Take on the question of should the capital of Israel be in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv? I don't I don't think that that's that there's a there necessarily a Christian answer to that. I think that you can be a good Christian and hold either of those views. Uh, so anyway, you guys jump in. You the can only, chastise me for the my. The only views. thing I was
2: going to add was what makes this so complicated and uh, so heated is that you've got three religions that are. Calling, uh, you know, Jerusalem, yeah. you know, you know, you know that well, it's holy to them, right? So yep, you've got the absolutely. Christians, you've got the Jews, and you've got the the Muslims. And so, with you know, moving this embassy into Jerusalem, obviously, uh, going along with what Jeff was saying, is that this becomes just heated once again, and, and and incites violence and and anger, and so people then would question whether or not this is you know worthwhile to do. Why yeah. not just leave things as they are? Yeah. Well and then the other thing too that you're going to see right now going on in CNN is that they've been posting a lot about this and chastising Christians because there there are Christians that see this as fulfillment of prophecy and so they're raising these right. big questions is this is this more of religion going on here or politics yeah. Uh, or just some sort of bizarre mix of the two.
1: What's weird to me, though, is that the way that a lot of people in the secular West t- want to divorce religion and politics. And I know that that sounds silly. To, well, to Of course you divorce religion and politics. Well, that's the way we in the West the think Western about it. The Western thought, yeah, totally. But it's actually not the way the rest of the world thinks about it. Like, yeah. if you're Muslim, you don't see there being a massive... I mean, the Sharia law is something that you're supposed to be, but not every Muslim believes that, by the way. Just certain certain right. versions and brands of them, but they're, it's not inconsistent for them to say, oh, Sharia law is something that should be used everywhere for the good of humanity. That's their belief. So in other words, politics grow out of one's religious beliefs. I would say the same thing about secularists. I think secularism is a religion, and I think that re- religious beliefs of secularism drive a kind of secular worldview that governs the way that people do their politics, I, I don't love the fact that people often s- say, well, we should separate those two, mm-hmm. which is the way that I totally agree, Andy, that CNN and the other are, others are saying, well, we should th- we just leave religion out of it, I mean, which is so naive. Stop it. How can people in the Middle East leave religion out of it? Yeah. That's that's just not true. And to be honest with you, we in the West don't religion, leave religion out of it. It's just that people who are secular say that theirs isn't a religion, which is convenient for them. Yeah. So I, I like I said, I don't think that there's a necessarily a... A Christian answer to it. I, I personally
3: would prefer things that don't incite violence. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was going to go with. to answer this reader's question. Like in truth, I don't. Yeah, you talked about the different divisions even within church the church's view on this issue. And truthfully, I'm not studied enough to actually articulate one way or the other. But the one thing I did, I have heard before that I've really uh, it's resounded with me is as soon as you um, hold the view that Israel is is almost above reproach and yep. cannot be challenged on in a prophetic way. I like the way you worded that. I think the Christian response to Israel is, is a prophetic one where we, you, you, we should be seeking justice all the way around. Like Israel's the political. Israel today is not above its actions. It's not, you know, it's, it, it's not that it's, they aren't held apart from, or not, not accountable for their actions today. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, cause I, I mean, even just thinking about it, like, if you if you think as a Christian there are Christians in Palestine who may or may not have been wronged by political Israel, so as a Christian, are you standing against your brother so for the some, sake of national Israel? Some, Do you know what I mean? In some
1: cases, you are. This is something that a lot of people don't under don't know. Right. Is that there is a significant Christian Palestinian population. Totally. There. Right. So and to just
3: blindly say so national case, Israel. In is... In some
1: cases, what you've got is. Secular Israel, which is—I mean—I'm using the word secular there because it's largely atheistic. Okay, but I mean, not, too, not
0: much different than other they, Western
1: countries. They are—they are basically using violence against our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I and the end, you have Christians in the West cheering that on, right? And that's the part where which you're kind of like ah, very awkward, yeah, and and very difficult. However, with that said, I—I I mean, I—I I don't want to absolve. Uh, the Palestinians of 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 guilt either in su- in much of what right. it goes on. This is why it's such a difficult issue, and why peace in the Middle East has been so difficult to come by. Is because, like, I mean, honestly, people are people. In every relationship, it usually takes two to tango. Right. Right.
3: And this is the thing: as soon as as soon as you you as soon as you you pick one, you pick I support Israel or I support yeah. Palestine. Yeah. It's kind of like that's not how that's not how it works in any relationship. Yeah. It's no. I mean, both of them have wronged each other. That's the nature of the I think the, the reality think of war. I think the push
1: for some is though that people feel theologically yes uh, driven to to support national political Israel. I will say that among many Pentecostal denominations um, and charismatics, the 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 the, uh, the pro-Israel s- stuff is very popular, Right. and so. It's not mm. uncommon for you to hear uh, a lot of their preachers and others share that this is fundamental yeah. to the faith. See,
3: I've always presupposed that it was because of the relationship between Pentecostal or the Charismatic movement and dispensationalism. Is yep. that no, is historically, that true? yeah, okay. historically, that's yeah.
1: been part of the, the the deal. It's it's just interesting. Like, I mean, I I've been to churches before where they'll have a uh, Israeli flag right yeah. in in the in the auditorium along with. Right. off an American, American flag and a Christian flag. What happens if
3: a Palestinian brother is coming to visit you in your church and they see Israel, <laughs> so an you, Israel flag up there? They're like, so it's those funny people bombed say that. my
1: home. So when I was in Texas and when I was doing my, my doctoral, or sorry, not my master's degree, I'm attending this school that is historically known for its dispensational thought and it's very pro-Israel, national political Israel stuff, which is, I mean, to be honest with you, when I went to classes there, I did not catch that much at all. Like most of my professors just did not hold that view. But historically, the school had that that take. Well, this guy was from Lebanon and he was in my Sunday school. They still do Sunday school there, right? Adult Sunday school. And so I have the Sunday school class, got like 60 people in it, mostly young adults. And he comes up to me and we start talking and he said, "He said, So you're, you know, second year at Dallas Seminary, second out a four. Yeah. Uh huh. And he said, can I share something with you? I said, what he goes. And then he started to tell me about what had happened to his family, his Christian family. Uh, And the reason that they were in the United States was because their homes were being bombed quite regularly by Israel, by rockets and other things like that, that uh, he had to work at one point. He himself had to work at one point in Israel and the kinds of mistreatment that he faced as just a human being was unreal to me. I, I could not believe that that happened. To him. So he said to me at the end of all this, he said to me, So I need you to tell me, I'm a Christian. I need you to tell me what I'm supposed to do. Right. How do how should I think about this? And I thought, I told him, dude, I'm just second year at (laughs) seminary, right? (laughs) (laughs) What am I supposed to to say to you? A lot of room to grow. But I I've remembered that conversation several times, Jonathan, precisely because of that question. And that very often when it comes to To politics, and I'll I'll just be pointed here. I am frightened for Christians that we, especially, and I'm saying we. You're the only Canadian here. We got three Americans here. We Americans tend to value more uh, the goals of the United States than we do the goals of the gospel. So if if the goals of the United States are going to be achieved by a certain president or by a certain policy, we will support it, even if it. Is going to create damage for the gospel and for its, you know, its promotion in a particular region or area. I struggle with that an awful lot because this is where I, I tend to be pretty Mennonite brethren and Anabaptists. I just I just think we serve a, uh, I think we serve a, a higher kingdom. And ultimately, yes, I am an American and has a part to play in what I, what I think I live in Canada has a part to play in what I think I, you know, I lived in New Zealand has a part to play in what I think, but all of those nationalisms are, they, they sit underneath yeah. my, my Christianity. The fact that I am actually a Christian for I'm a slave of Jesus first. Yeah. And then I'm those other things. I'm a citizen of heaven first. And then I'm a citizen yeah. of the U S or Canada or whatever else. And I, I think it's a challenge for a lot of Christians to hold that thing. I'm very fortunate to live in Canada because I think you're allowed to. And I'm looking at you, Andy. I mean, you lived in the States for a lot of years. And so I'm, was that your experience or like, do you, when you go back to the U.S., do you feel this kind of political tension or, especially in this day and age of Donald Trump and people's Mm -hmm. opinions that are so polarized, some
2: for, some against, some... it is interesting when you leave the United States that you're able to see it uh, in ways that perhaps you didn't see it before. Uh, and just to go along with what you guys are we talking about, I mean, you really get a sense of the tension when you go to Israel, and particularly if you go into any Palestinian territories. Uh, while I was there, I went into Bethlehem, for example, and man, the tension that exists between them, and you know, and, and as we know, it go it goes both ways, uh, but. There, there is so much uh, abuse that, that's taking place, and so it's really interesting. I think Christians need to be a little more thoughtful of what's going on because, you know, there's like the, there's a bit of a moral inversion that begins to happen here, where you've got on the one hand, you know, the world feeling. Feeling sorry for the Jews, you know, after World War II, and wanting them to have a home and, and going out of their Ju- way, justifiably so, yeah, and justifiably so. But now it it we're getting this inversion, right? Where where what of, was meant to be good is now in some of the ways that uh,
1: that national political Israel handles the the na- their neighbors, uh, it, I mean, it is shock, shockingly authoritarian, yep. and I don't want to say it's Hitlerish. But right. but there are there are some similarities in the way that that's handled, um, which again is why I said before Jonathan that I think that no matter what viewpoint you have on this, if even if you say that there is a future for national political Israel, Micah six eight is there right seek yeah. justice, cur- you know like this is th- that passage. This is what the Lord requires of yep. you to do justly, act, yep. love mercy, and walk humbly with, your, humbly your, with yeah. your God. So like. Uh, I, I think, you know, as Isaiah one, I'm thinking, you hold your hands up to heaven and I won't listen to your prayers because you're, there's blood on them. Yeah, I I, I think that these passages, Hamas five, other ones, these yeah. prophetic texts that are talking about the way that Israel as a, as a, as an entity, as a national entity is supposed to have treated the sojourner or the neighbor or the, you know, and they haven't. Yeah and God judges them. I think those those passages are at least those passages are appropriate even if you believe in a future national political Israel. And if you go where I go, which is I think actually Jesus is the fulfillment of those things, then you get even more like, well, man, you guys are a nation like all all others and you should you should be chastised for the way that you act and likewise they should be chastised for the kind of hate mongering that goes on among them and the suicide bombings and
2: stuff. And it's hard to live in
1: places like Israel. It is because there's a chance that when you go to pizza, you're going to die.
2: Yeah, But in the United States, just to finish this idea, though, you know, that that we've been getting at and just to give some people some perspective, I think, Jeff, I'm sure you experienced this as well. But when you live in the U.S., there is this um, sympathy for the Jews uh, for for Israel, that is is really quite something, particularly amongst Christians, that they still Among see them amongst yeah. evangelicals that, yeah. that the Jews are God's chosen people, yep. and that that really in a lot of ways, you know, even though they're very atheistic, that that's just really a blind eyes kind of turn to that, and that this idea that really you need yep. to you as a Christian almost that you have an obligation to. Yep fight for Israel that's, that's because, right. because yeah. they're God's chosen people.
1: Yeah. And that's why, uh, that, that's why there is this, uh, such support for them well, in the U S among some, some groups. huh.
0: In, in the literature, like if you've been reading, reading, reading anything in the, these last number of days, right. The, a term that I see consistently pop up is, is Zionist, right. And, mm. and the, the guardian CNN, they're all, they're attaching this, label to American evangelicals and they're saying this is wholesale the view. So how would you respond to that? I would that? say
1: that that's not true. I, I would say that the, the news media in general struggles a great deal. The secular news media struggles a great deal whenever they wade into the waters <laughs> of r- religion and nuance that they end up painting with a huge slight understatement brush. There. Well, they just, do. Just, I mean, like, well, okay, let's, let's not They struggle somewhat. I would say that they say that about Muslims as well. Like they totally. treat every Muslim as if they're same. Like if you went and sat down with somebody who is a, a news reporter, I'm not, I, this is just conjecture on my part. So maybe yeah. I'm wrong, but I would be surprised if they can tell you the historic difference between Shia and Sunni Islam and why well, it is maybe that some Iraq. believe and others don't and what the majority is and what one area. And like, I, I really don't know if they understand all the nuances It. Be largely because I, I was educated in the same schools. I was at secular universities and communication departments and I had journalism friends and that the secular worldview has two. There's two kinds of people in the world. There's the rational secular ones and then there's the religious nut nut jobs. And the religious, the religious nut jobs are the people who fly planes into buildings. All of them are. Them. Right, or some of them are inconsistent. Like yeah, that. some of them are inconsistent and aren't as crazy, but they kind of are crazy. They're ruining their kids' life because they're they're teaching them a sexual ethic that we all know is stupid. But that's kind of that's kind of the the level of nuance you oftentimes get. And so often, I, I find it interesting whenever I read somebody who's describing religion in the news how little they actually understand in fact there was just an article this Easter where somebody was talking one of the I think it was somebody from The Huffington Post had written Oof. that the United that that Easter was when when Jesus uh, was it wasn't born but was was when when Jesus ascended into heaven and I was like oh my like how how disconnected from Western history do you have to be to think that Easter is the celebration of the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. Now you might think, well, what's the, no, it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But that's the kind of naivete that you're dealing with. Like just even simple stuff, they don't, they don't get right. And so I don't, it doesn't surprise me that people label all evangelical, that, that label now Mm -hmm. to be an evangelical is to be a Trump supporting, Israel supporting, uh, you know, hate monger as as is represented by Westboro Baptist Church and their their signs outside of, you know, whatever f- homosexual people's funerals, mm-hmm. say, you know, decrying them as hor- using horrible terms to talk about them. Yeah. So that's the way that they perceive it. Even in even in the documentaries, that's the way it is. Oh, here's the way that all Christians think. Let's interview Westboro Baptist. What? <laughs> Yeah cuz 200 people represent Not even that there's like one family who represents it. But again, there's just not a lot of of nuance and admittedly, I would also say that part of the problem is that Christians don't have that we some of our spokespeople aren't very good.
2: Okay? So you end up getting nut jobs on TV answering well, questions that they should not be answering. I, I have a little bit of insight in that, though, as I've seen with different friends and whatnot involved in, on these TV shows. And what you see repeatedly is the people that they know will do a good job answering aren't the ones that they specifically don't ask. Right. Because why they, you don't get ratings. They what, want
3: the nutcases.
2: Yeah, they want the nutcases. Because well, that makes them good for TV. Totally. And, and people entertained. And yeah. it's more entertaining. Yeah. To
1: be honest with you, I, uh, Russell Moore should answer all the questions. I mean, or some, most of them. Just because of he's he's very capable. He's a very capable answerer to the questions. He doesn't get pigeonholed into these things. He makes sure that the nuance. Russell Moore is the event the ethics and religious liberty commission guy from the Southern Baptist Convention He's probably one of the and he's an outstanding public intellectual. Ross Douthat should answer a lot of the questions. He writes for the New York Times, and he's a he's a Catholic guy. Like they, let these guys answer them because they do better than. And then they bring on, but they do, they bring on, you know, pastor of local church, such and such who gets on there and you're like, I mean, it, seriously, if they asked me to go on there, I'd be like, nah, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to answer your questions on that, on that level in the way that I wish I, I would like to anyway.
0: So then in summary, the relationship between
3: Christians Christians. Complicated and, it's and compl- national. <laughs> this Facebook post it's is complicated. Some people, complicated. Some, some complicated. people who are
1: listening to this are going to be very committed to uh, dispensationalist thought, and that is well within the Orthodox Christianity. There are okay. going to be people who listen to this and are more com- comfortable with covenant theology. I am one of them. Yeah, um, but that's the, that's fine. Uh, th- these are not. Uh, again, I think at the, at the end of it, Jonathan's right. We seek justice is the, is the call of Christ ultimately. And so we are supposed to support those who seek justice.
0: So treat them the same, treat them like any other country and speak prophetic words in calling them to justice. Great, great summary. So here we'll uh, transition into... Did
1: you just commend your own summary? <laughs> yes, I
0: did. It's, uh, it's my first time on the podcast, so I, I need to be my he's own been, man. He's been
2: taking cues from me. It's insightful, yeah.
1: that one. It's slightly
0: yeah. above average, no, perhaps. But- I would give it a B. Solid B. We'll round up. Well, I don't want to round up. I think I rounded up to a B. Mm, okay. But anyways, um, you uh, you preached this weekend, Andy. So, is there anything you would like to add? To the sermon that you and you he was in mission on. and yeah. i was in i was absurd. gonna say
2: jeff and i s- uh, spoke this week uh really in some ways wrapping up beginning to wrap up mm. uh the book of jude uh, felt this w- good
1: to be positive for a few minutes didn't <laughs> it
2: <laughs> yeah because you know as you know jude 3 sets the tone that he's just he's attacking false teaching yeah. <sighs> and he does so thoroughly yeah uh that. and and at this point you know in verses 20 to 21 he Uh, he gets positive, you know, as he talks about, well, what does it look like to be a a Christian, a secure Christian Mm -hmm. in our faith? And this idea, he he uses three imperatives there to to build your faith. He talks about uh, praying in the spirit and keeping yourself in God's love. Uh, And so it was, it felt good, right? To talk Mm -hmm. about what does that look like? What does it look like to be a Christian that's growing in your faith? Uh, I don't know about you, Jeff, the examples I used uh, or an example I used was was rock climbing. And I talked about how in rock climbing you you have a rope that's attached to you, but you have to periodically you got to attach that rope to the rock as you're going up, mm. and you realize the significance of setting those anchors as you go up because your life depends upon it. And when I read Jude, you really get the sense he's he's talking about your eternal destiny. Mm. So when he talks about the significance of false teaching, like he's not mincing words. He he realizes the danger that's happening for this church and and wants to obviously argue for them to contend for the faith. And one of the things I was using with that, though, is just, you know, what does that look like when we're setting, you know, when we're building our faith, when we're setting those anchor points, that we can trust them? And one of my arguments was, and I think Christians just need to continue to remember this, that faith isn't blind, Uh, that that faith is trusting what you have good reason to believe is true. Uh, and you see this argued throughout the Gospels, throughout the, the New Testament. You have good reason to place your trust in Jesus Christ and to contend for that faith and to not give up on that. And to more than that, realize and to be encouraged that this faith will hold you.
1: Yeah. And I think that that image of build, build, building up, building yourselves up in, our, in your most holy faith is the way the language is. Mm-hmm. I, I think that what you're on to there is right, that it, it is an investigation of the reasons Right. So I, I mean, i I'm, I tried to make the point that the more, you know, about a thing, the more committed to that thing or more dogmatic, you tend to be about that particular thing, the more sure about it. You are. And I, I think that's the case with the faith. And, um, this is why people who end up studying apologetics tend to be more firm footed in their faith is because they have spent the time to look at the different viewpoints and, and look at, so what kind of reason is there for, for belief in a God and in this particular God, as is revealed in Jesus Christ, and why is it that we believe the resurrection is not just something that happens in people's minds, but is actually historically true, and what is the evidence for the scriptures and, uh, and for their own claims to wh- well, whatever word you want, infallibility, inerrancy, whatever. The knowledge about all of this stuff d- helps you. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I was greatly helped by, in, in seminary by studying textual criticism, which is uh, the study of all the different documents that we have in the original languages, both Old Testament and New Testament, so Hebrew and Greek texts that we have in, in manuscript form. And what, what evidence do we have that what we're reading on the page is actually the original author's, close to the original author's language, or it is itself? and i thought when i got into this oh man the bible's going to the new testament going to be full of holes with this cuz there's so many different manuscripts and stuff but one of the things you find out when you study textual criticism is how reliable this is
2: how crazy actually, reliable it is i was actually going to ask you about that jeff cuz one of my, the illustrations i gave on sunday was that when i went to bible college and then when i went off to master's degree and and even in some ways uh, you know in phd work you know there's something in the back of your mind that you think Man, I wonder what's going to happen once I start asking questions of the Bible. Mm. You know, and this is one of the things I encourage people. And I, I is, listen, when you're reading your Bible, those are anchor points, right? Is you're, is you're reading God's word daily? Is you're, is you're reading and investing yourself in his word? And you have questions that come up. Don't let those questions go by. You need no. to track those down. You need to, that, those are faith building moments. Mm-hmm. And, and back to this idea when you go off to college, well, I mean, that's what you're there to do. You're there to grab the Bible and you'll shake it, you know, and to see, you know, how, like, I'm going to go and I'm going to investigate and ask questions and learn more about this. And, and is it going to hold? And what I found when I went to Bible college and, and seminary and whatnot is, you know, there's there's a part of you that almost wonders, is like you were saying, you know, is, is there going to be a bunch of holes in this? And I found that each time, yep. my faith was strengthened. It is ultimately, yeah, um, yeah. The the truth is, most people uh, who get th-
1: thrown a- around by whatever wind of doctrine are the people who tend to have not spent much time studying the the truth claims of the scriptures. And that's why, I mean, I've made the point that catechesis is so important and why it is that uh, some of the best ways that you can be discipled is by learning theology and learning these things. I think it's actually probably a necessary aspect of, of, of your spiritual life. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great passage. And that's it's funny how Jude essentially what he says when he gets, when he comes around to saying, OK, so what do you do in light of all these false teachers? He says stuff like, uh, OK, so read your Bible uh, come on, pray, right. Praying in the Holy spirit and, uh, you know, look forward to having, you know, just, which means, you know, wait, wait, wait for it. Understand that you still have ways to go. And if you can read the Bible and pray a lot until you get there, that'll, it'll be good. Which is funny because it's so boring. You're like, okay, give us a secret, dude. Tell us now. Okay. So there's to the Bible. You know, it's so funny too, because <laughs> that's what we tell everybody. Yeah. I mean, essentially, I've I've said to people before, listen, if you want to keep following Christ your whole life, you need to find a faithful church that loves God's Word, that loves prayer, that loves to focus on the historic doctrines of the church, and you need to go to that church for as long as you can. And if you move somewhere else, find another church that's like it, And commit yourself to going there, because that's where you're going to get all this stuff Mm -hmm. in the end. And yes, in your personal life, commit yourself to reading scripture and studying and asking the questions and all that. But ultimately, I
2: just think that the life of the church is so necessary to the life of the Christian. Absolutely. And this, to me, too, there's a cyclical moment to that. Where you have, you know, keeping yourself in, in God's love, you see Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15, verse nine, he talks about, well, you keep yourself in God's love by following his commands. Right. And, and why do you follow God's commands? Well, because you trust him, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's going to be moments where you're going to, you know, have your challenges. And what do you do? Well, you pray, right? So that you can do what? So that you can follow his mm-hmm. commands. You know, and, you, and you see this, this motion to what discipleship. Right, but, and you build yourself up in your holy, fo- holy faith
1: like. so that you end up trusting the one who's given the commands and you know him better. And under- Yeah, it's, it's all, all... What Jude is saying is pretty straightforward and simple. And yet at the same time, I don't know. We're weird. We always want something new, and, like and in discipleship right. discussions. That's all we, all you ever want. Okay. So I got this new secret discipleship this program. Right. It's got four chairs. You move from first chair to second chair. And then once you get the second <laughs> chair, you got to jump over this hurdle and they get to the, and then spiritual get harder. Yeah. And that's then if right. you do these four things, right, you will, which is funny because essentially the Jude's like, nah, just Bible and prayer and church and stuff. Okay, like but I still have to ask. So
0: read your Bible pray consistently, read your Bible consistently. And then you'd mentioned catechesis, right? So what extra teaching resource would you recommend hypothetically if you were going to recommend an extra thing, despite the fact that Jude said all you need is prayer in the Bible
1: and a church? (laughs) Well, I think you need to be in a place where those things happen. So prayer in the Bible, the church is going to focus on scripture and getting you connected with the words of the word of God in its context and stuff like that. So to me, that's, if you're looking for a magic bullet,
2: that's it. They don't exist. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> the closest thing to
1: it is actually God's church. Yeah. Amen. So, and, but, a healthy but I mean church. The, yeah, a healthy church that actually has a focus on those sorts of things.
2: That one thing though that I would just kind of add in there because I think maybe what you were trying to aim for was—is there a certain book or something like that? Yeah. Or,
0: any any kind of resource because people right. still ask me all the time, and I I don't I haven't studied enough to be, be able to recommend something. <laughs> oh. Well,
2: here's here's not? what <laughs> I would here's what I was trying to get at. What are the odds he, he offers? he says it right now. Is 20 bucks, uh,
3: 20 bucks. There's a
2: book. I'll have you know that I did not <laughs> re- recommend my book. Uh, no, but uh, seriously, what Which book is that, Eddie? my thing is read the Bible yep. and there are going to be moments that you're going to have questions or your children are going to have questions from what they're experiencing or reading in life or in the word. Right. And my thing is, don't ever let those questions pass you by those are faith building moments for you and those are especially faith building faith building moments for your children and so that could that means a lot of different resources right yeah. it depends upon what the question is but when, what happens when you have questions and you track those down and you see that God's God's word stands, it builds your faith, it builds your trust Amen. in it, and you're going to continue to follow it. And I think one of the important things that we do as parents is we show our kids by example how you do that. You know, read God's word, ask questions, track down answers, continue forward. Okay. Jeff, I don't know what or guys, would you say something different?
3: Yes. No, I wouldn't. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, it's yes good. No. I got to give you a kudos. You didn't actually plug your book. Uh, Thank thinking, you. answering my oh, five biggest questions. There is my 20 Th- bucks. There we go. Okay. <laughs> well, then there you have it. All you need to do
0: is read your Bible, pray, and ask those hard questions as you're connected to a healthy thinking? local church. Oh, church. Yeah. Right. And if you have any of those questions, feel free to email those to extra
1: yeah. at northview.org. Can I add just one piece here? One of the, the, the passage that we preached on a well. I, I didn't I know how much you did Andy, but I ended up doing 20 verses 23 or verse yeah. all the way through verse 23. Yes, certainly. So verses 22 and 23, like it's interesting how the first he, he has you, Jude has you turn your attention away from yourself to the, to others. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he says is have mercy on those who doubt. I, I think in line with what you just said, Andy, one one of the challenges the church has though, is at least the perception that doubting is not something or wavering is not something that's allowed. Yeah. And so if you waver in your belief and wavering means to be at least for a period between two opinions, like you're not sure whether or not this is the path you want to go, or this new teaching is the way you're going to go. So you're kind of going back and forth between the two. I think what what he's saying is that you don't need to scream at that person. You need to you need to have mercy on them. But a mercy that 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 t- patiently corrects and that leads them to a, a better understanding of things, but is but that is patient with with the struggle. And I actually can't help but think how I can't help but think about all the stories I've heard from people who've walked away from the faith when they said, I used to go to a church, but I started having questions and the, I just felt like I couldn't ask those questions in church. I asked them and my pastor said, just have faith. Or I just asked the, I'm just telling you passages like that, have mercy on those who doubt it is, are enormously helpful because what they're essentially saying is, okay, it's okay. We don't want you to stay doubting. We want you to get some answers. Like there's no merit in just being a doubter, but having these moments where you lack surety about the thing, right? Uh, I believe help my unbelief. That's yeah. not a, that's a normal question to ask. Yeah. And you should feel like you can ask those questions honestly and get answers. And if you don't happy with the answers that you get, at least uh, for whatever reason, you, you know, consider them more. And that's, I think that's what you're trying to say ultimately is that, that don't, it's okay to ask the questions. It's okay to chase down the answers because the Bible is really, really good it's got a great track record of holding up to the Amen. hardest questions anyone's ever asked.
0: 2,000 years.
2: Amen. And
1: going. And, and still going
0: strong. All right. Well, we'll shut it down there then. There you have it. Keep asking your hard questions. Email them extra at northview.org. Thanks. Good job, Freddie. You're welcome. Slightly above average. That was really good.
2: Hasta luego.